So um, I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about uh, when Jesus changes your name. I really didn't put that much thought into the title, but whoever that was, thank you. Glad you're back, buddy. <laughs> Should we do that one again? No. Okay. It's not often in the Upper Peninsula you get a good reaction like that, so that's, that's great. Okay. So in Scripture, one of the cultural differences that we will struggle with a little bit as I go through this is that for us, culturally, names don't mean quite what they used to, uh, like in the times of Scripture. We slap names on anything and everything from kids to dogs without a whole lot of thought. Um, and here, names mean a great deal. In Scripture, as you read through, you'll, you'll see that a name reveals one's very nature, their essence or identity, whatever word you want to put on it. Uh, we don't think of names generally in that way today, but as we go through and we talk about having your name changed, I'm going to ask you that you understand that having a name changed is in the context of your identity being changed, your essence or your nature being changed entirely, not just your name. When you read the Bible, you see God's names Throughout, many, many, many times, he reveals himself to his people with a different name. God the healer. God the deliverer. And obviously, if you're reading an older translation, you get to see words like Jehovah Jireh, where he's revealing himself to a people with a different name. And over and over and over, he does this because he's wanting you to see who he is. Who his nature. The names of God describe who he is and what he's like. And he goes to great lengths to show his people that this is who he is. Also, you see it throughout the Old Testament when God would meet someone. Thanks, Josh. Close pen, I love it. You see folks like Abram, Sarai, having their names changed, Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. Jacob has his name. You see this repeated over and over. And what's happening is God's encountering people and he's saying, I know who you are today. I know who you think you are today. But now that I've intervened in your life, and now that I'm a part of your life, I'm going to change who you are forever. When God changes someone's name, he's changing everything about them. Their new name then describes who they are and usually what they'll do. So today I want to look at a New Testament example of this in John 1, verses 40 to 42. It's just a short passage of scripture, but it's where um, Simon meets Jesus for the first time. So if you have a Bible or a phone, flip to John 1, 40 to 42. So Jesus had just called his first disciples. 
Picking up in verse 40, one of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And it also translates as rock. So let's just step, just step back for just a moment and set a little bit of context, okay? So these guys have been waiting for the Messiah to come. It's a, it's a huge deal for them culturally. They've been waiting for this. And suddenly Simon's brother pops in the room and says, you got to come meet this guy. We met the Messiah. So there's going to be maybe some excitement and maybe some skepticism depending on who it is. For Simon, I would think more excitement than skepticism, looking at his personality throughout the New Testament. He shows up in this room, and before he's opened his mouth, it says he walks in, and Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon, son of John. Calls it out. At that point, there's probably going to be a little bit of, how would one know that exactly, um, since I just got here? So I'm, I'm assuming that you have to figure Simon is a little bit surprised. Now, maybe Jesus had a little bit of background. He knew Andrew and knew the dad. Maybe he knew the family. But then he goes on to say, you shall be called Cephas. Well, his name was Simon Peter. So Jesus is connecting Simon now to Simon Peter, but he's also saying, you will be called the rock. So at the outset, I'm sure that Peter probably didn't think a whole lot of this at the time. But maybe he did. Maybe this came as a surprise to him. Maybe he knew the kind of person that he was, and this was like, (laughs) you got the dad name right, but I'm not sure on the rock thing. Jesus leads with a prophetic encounter. This is something supernatural to get Simon's attention. This happens all the time in the kingdom of God where God's seeking us out. We think we're seeking him out, but he's really seeking us out. And the first way that he gets our attention is through something prophetic. Maybe it's healing, but often it's a prophetic where he speaks something about you that he shouldn't know. And sometimes he uses people to do that. You've ever, have you ever been prayed for and someone starts to pray things over you that there's no way they should know? That's God trying to get your attention. And this is what he did with Peter. So now, Peter's aware that this person is unique. Jesus then goes on to say, for you shall be called Peter. So I don't want to call you Simon anymore. I don't want to call you son of John anymore. I want to call you Peter. I don't care who your family was. I don't care what kind of background you came out of. I'm going to tell you who you're going to be from this moment forward. You're going to be called Peter, and that means rock. Jesus is telling Peter who he's going to be from this moment forward. When you and I, when we meet Jesus, for real, this goes beyond just like I have a faith that I believe in Jesus for salvation. This is where he encounters us and something supernatural transpires. And there's a difference. But when we meet Jesus for real, he changes our nature. When Jesus is changing Simon's name to Peter, the rock, 
He's more than just telling them, I'm giving you a new nickname. That's not what this is about in Scripture. Jesus, you know, you don't change Abram to Abraham and add a syllable for a nickname. You call him Abe. Jesus doesn't change names to make it easier to call someone something or because he's got a bad memory. He changes the name because he's changing the nature. When we meet Jesus like Peter, he changes who we are and he changes our name. Sometimes, you know, just a little bit of a sidebar here, but when we, we hear of stories, okay, like if you're hanging around this church for very long, you're, you're going to hear stories from a lot of folks. You're going to hear Ryan's stories and Dan's stories, and Pastor Tuttle shared his story. And a lot of times we hear these stories of great intimacy with God, people having encounters with God like in the Bible. And it's really easy to say, that couldn't be me because I'm this. That could never be me. I could never have that because I've done this. And we essentially disqualify ourselves from even seeking after it because of what we've been, what we've done, where we're from. And what you see when Peter walks in the room here is Jesus doesn't spend any time talking about Peter, what Peter used to be. He doesn't take a bunch of time talking about who Peter's dad was, good or bad. Because he's not really that interested in all that. I mean, he is, and he'll work on it and deal with it down the road. But really, the only requirement for having your nature changed in Jesus is that you show up. And when he's there and you show up, don't leave until he's spoken to you and he's changed you. Jesus simply says one thing to Peter. Peter... Now that you've met me, this is who you are, and this is what you'll be. And everything changes. Who you were before you meet Jesus is not the same person you'll be after he touches you. This is paramount to understanding what happens in you when you meet Jesus. Paramount. When, when Peter walked into the room, this is, this is sec, stop for a second, think of this. Let's use a little bit of reverse logic here. When Peter walked into the room, do you think he had any clue who he'd become? Just stop for a second, okay? He's a fisherman by nature, by trade, okay? Fishing was a business back then. It's not quite like we think of fishing today, the guy standing out in his waders, you know. Okay, a little bit different. This was a business, okay? You work hard, like Kurt was talking, a lot of labor, long hours, you got to have some business sense. When Peter walked in this room and Jesus the Messiah looks at him for the first time and calls him Simon, son of John, do you think in that moment he had any idea who he'd become? You think he had ever thought that he'd be the first leader of the church? The long-awaited kingdom of God made manifest on the earth that he'd be the first leader? That he'd preach a sermon three years later on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes to earth for the first time fully for mankind, that Peter would preach a sermon that day where thousands would be transformed and swept into the kingdom of God, eternities changed forever? Do you think that he'd ever conceived of that when he walked into that room? 
Do you think he ever thought that he'd be crucified upside down in loyalty to the Lord? Do you think he considered too much the eternal glory that would await him? I don't. I don't. I think he was probably a fisherman. He had a good family business. He probably stunk. Okay, he probably, he's a young man. And he's probably walking in there going, this Messiah guy is a huge deal in our culture. And somehow, my idiot brother ran into him. And so I've at least got to go check out who this guy is. Because how much would I regret it if he came to power and glory and I had a chance to meet him and I didn't at least attach myself to him? Who knows what the Messiah could do for the fishing industry? Seriously. You're a fisherman. You're not thinking about becoming the leader of the first church. You're not thinking about preaching a sermon on Pentecost because you know who you are. You know who your family is. You know what you were made to be. You're not going down that road. And that's exactly what Jesus confronts. He says, Simon, son of John, I know who your family is. I know what you guys have done for generations, and I know who you think you are. I know you think you know where you're going. And I, I, I probably know why you're here. Because you're thinking you got one leg up with the Messiah for your fishing business. But Simon, son of John, that's not who you are. You are Peter. You are the rock. And Peter's probably looking at him going, not sure where this is going. But you know what? Peter said yes. When you meet Jesus and you're born again, which also translates born from above, the person you were, Romans 6, says that you were literally crucified with Christ. The person that you were, your background, who you think you are and where you're going is crucified with Christ. And the person you will be from that point on throughout eternity is raised with him in new life. That is what it means to be born from above. You become a new person completely when you meet Jesus Christ. You don't know who you are before you meet Jesus. You don't. And what you are not really doesn't matter. A few years ago, it was um, 2005, December 2005, eight of us went to this conference in Kansas City. And um, I'd been really kind of chasing after the Lord for about three years at the time, just really hard and intense. And I was hanging out with um, Adam Tuttle and, and Ed Bordeaux quite a bit. And um, Ed's not around here anymore, and Adam lives near Chicago. But these guys were a couple pretty wild. They're wild. Ed's like the loudest human you'll ever meet. Um, and uh, just extremely passionate, kind of like John the Baptist in 2016, that kind of a guy, just very, very radical. And Adam's an evangelist. He's got a huge personality, and I was hanging around with those guys. So I figured, you know, that's, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be loud, flame-throwing John the Baptist, you know, repenting, screaming, hollering, all this stuff, right? So I go to this conference in Kansas City, and 
there's these two ladies that are praying prophetically over our group, and they pray for Ed, and sure enough, you know, flamethrower, and there's a girl sitting behind him doing prophetic art, and he, he gets this prophetic flamethrower drawn for him while she's praying, and I was like, oh, this, is, this is it, it's so prophetic, and, uh, and then Adam's turn, and he gets up there, and she starts fire starter, and now it's like this image, this girl is sketching while these ladies are praying. She, we didn't even know her. She's just sitting behind us. She's sketching fire starter and this big picture of Adam starting this huge fire. And I'm like, these ladies, these ladies get it. They get it. I'm next. And I'm, you know, and I'm just getting pumped up. So finally it's my turn and the lady starts to pray. And, she, and I was like, ooh, that felt prophetic. She says, yes, come on, give it to me. And she says, uh, you are the one that Jesus loves. And I was like, I thought you ladies were prophetic. <laughs> and she starts talking about John the Beloved, who lays his head on Jesus' breast. He knows that he's the beloved of God. And I'm standing there, and I'm borderline quaking with rage. <laughs> because I don't want to be the one that Jesus loves. I want to be the one that starts the fire. And this goes on for about 10 minutes. And the best part was the poor girl that was trying to do prophetic art, she just couldn't draw anything. She's like, I don't even know where to go here. But just, <laughs> just a big teardrop, maybe a heart. She didn't give me anything. So I leave, right? This powerful prophetic experience with nothing, almost. So I thought. What I didn't realize was whether I wanted that or not, he changed who I was in that moment. Good. Totally. Okay? So I come back, month goes by, finally the shaking anger ceases. Another month goes by, and I start to notice that like, when I'm in the Word or I'm praying, it, it feels a little bit different. Then start, starts the weeping, the crying. Yes, Lord. And you can't really do anything about it. And the process starts because when He speaks, you change. When he speaks your name or he says, this is who you are, it changes who you are, and it begins immediately. The, the, you don't epitomize who you will become the first moment that he speaks. I tell you that story because I was, I was one of these young people who's, you know, 20, 21, 22 years old, and I knew who I was. I knew I was a flamethrower. I knew I was a fire starter. I knew I was John the Baptist. I knew who I was. And when Jesus told me who I was, I, I didn't want to hear it. And since that time, it's been about, I don't know, 11 or 12 years When someone tells me this is who I am, and this is where I'm going, and this is what I'm not, and this is what I'm not going to be, 
I just smile. Okay. <laughs> and you wait for the tears. Because we don't know who we are before we meet Jesus. I'm not a certain thing is one of the most destructive things we can say about ourselves. I'm not like that. I'm not that way. That's not. I couldn't do that. It's not me. You're right. It's not. Before you meet Jesus, it's not. Your personality will change and take shape into things that you never dreamed you could be, never thought you could become, and you'll accomplish things you never even entertained for your life. This isn't a feel-good message. This is the literal transformative power of the gospel. And sometimes it hurts because you know what you want to be. And you have to let that die and be crucified so that he can resurrect his vision for your life, in your life. Moses almost got himself killed by doing the very thing that I did at that conference 11 years ago. When Moses gets called by God, I'm not going to go into this, but just bear with me. He gets called by God. God says, come on, Moses, you're going to go lead the people back. You're going to lead the people into the promised land. I see what's happening. Moses goes, I can't do that. I'm not a speaker. Okay, hang on. Moses, burning bush, God speaking to you. Shaking. Then he shows you some miracles. You throw it on your staff. It becomes a stake. You stick your hand in your shirt. You get leprosy. You stick it back. It becomes clean. And then you argue with God about what he's telling you you're going to do and become. Now, let's give him a little bit of credit. This was his first encounter with God. We've all done pretty much the same thing. How many of us, when God said, this is who you are and this is who you're going to be, were like, yes, Lord, let's go? Almost no one. We go, Lord, that could never be me. I could never speak in front of people. When I was in high school, you remember when the first day of class would go around and you'd have to stand up, say your name, and say something about yourself? I'd get so sick that I'd almost leave class because I was so nervous about what I was going to stand up and say. And I'd sit down. The first time I spoke at this church, Pastor Tuttle, I don't know what he was thinking, but he's like, hey, why don't you take a turn preaching? So at the time, there was like a two or three step, wasn't it? Two or three steps. Two or three step like ramp up onto the thing here. And I sat down on the top step with my elbows on my knees because my hands were shaking so bad I couldn't hold the mic. So they're trying to tell my testimony like this. There's like eight people in the room. Who you are in the morning before you meet Jesus doesn't matter at all. Because when he tells you who you are, he will give you and change in you everything you will need to become everything that he said. Moses almost got killed by arguing with God. God showed up to kill him and his wife saved him. God, I could never do that. I can't speak. You've got to send someone else with me. God shows up and he's going to strike him dead. Wow, that's intense. So uh, 
I would say apparently God takes it very seriously when he changes who you are. So seriously that he showed up to kill Moses so that he could resurrect him to make him who he wanted to be. This is one of the greatest challenges to us today. Because humility and pride clash right here. Right? None of us wants to be prideful or presumptuous, do we? We don't want to be the guy who's proud, who's walking around. This is who I am. (laughs) Wish you could be me. (laughs) Right? We don't want to be proud, so we're humble. I could never do that. Nay, Lord, not thy servant. Pow! Because our attempts to be humble often lead us into false humility. And false humility will disqualify us from being able to be led into who God created us to be. Humility is this. I am only and everything that God says that I am. If it's in the scripture, or he said it to you by the spirit, you are only in everything that he says that you are. That's what humility is. Jesus was walking in complete humility when he stood before Pilate and confessed the good confession and said that I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. If my kingdom were of this world, they would come and fight for me. He's telling Pilate, I am the king of kings and my kingdom is from another world in utter and complete humility. I don't want to think anything about myself that he doesn't think about me. This is important because we allow ourselves to believe a great deal about ourselves that's not true. And these are the things that keep us from quickly becoming what God wants to raise up in us. I'm not this. Oh, really? Did God say that? Well, no, but I, I could never do that. I just, oh, you know more than the creator who made you, fashioned you, formed you, is committed to you, and can transform you. You, you know better than he does. We're trying to be humble, but guys, it's pride. It's pride that we tell God what we're not and what he could never make us into. Humility says, I'm not that today, but this is where I'm going. It is essential that we don't think anything about ourselves that he doesn't think about us. See, the rich young ruler was a contrast to Peter. He didn't even get a name in the Bible. He's rich. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants. And when Jesus shows up, he kind of comes in to check it out. And Jesus says, this is what you got to do. you got to become everything that you're not today. Poor, giving selfless, give it all away and come follow me. And he left sad because his identity was in his wealth and his rulership. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to change who you are. And he couldn't do it. And he wouldn't do it. And he walked away. And he departed from Jesus, which is the worst thing that could happen to anyone. Don't cling to anything other than his word and what he says about you. A practical personal tip. When you realize you've thought things about yourself that are not true, confess them aloud. 
This goes back to the thing earlier about confession. Confess them aloud, or you'll sometimes hear people say renounce them. Renounce simply means to give up or put aside voluntarily, or to disown. When you've thought something about you or about God that's not true, audibly speak out and say, I, I, I renounce this. I repent of this. This is not true. I disown it and I'll not think it about God or about me again. As we found earlier in James 5, it says, healing comes with confession. God will heal you and he'll change the way that you think. This is part of the transformation of the mind. A practical corporate tip. When you see a lack in a person or a group, don't declare that or speak that over them or about them. Keep quiet until you've heard from God what they're meant to be and speak that about them instead. You guys, we don't realize the transformative power of the gospel in the spirit of God. So we meet people and we see people and we see all the things that they're not, all the ways that they're failing, all the things they could never become, and we define them by that. And God goes, geez, you weren't what you are today, the day that I met you. Why would you think that they would be and that they would stay that way? He's the greatest visionary of human potential that's ever been. And it's key that as leaders we develop that same ability to see the potential in people that they've never dreamed for themselves. Don't see them as they are. Hear from God what they're meant to become. The last thing, when Jesus changes your name, your identity, he commits to the process. He commits to the process. He doesn't expect you to epitomize the fullness of who you'll become the day that he changes your name. The day that he changed who I was, I didn't change at all. I didn't change a lick. But he doesn't just change who you are. He commits to the process of bringing that about and making that manifest, transforming your personality, developing in you something that was never there before. If you've read the Gospels at all, how many of you guys read the book? Okay, four of you guys have read the Gospels. Okay, so... You are well aware that Peter's performance during Jesus' life was not exactly what one would consider rock-like. How many of you get? Come on, when we think about Peter, what do we think about? He's a big, you know, he's kind of brash. You know, he's telling he's telling people what to do. He's telling people who's going to be in charge. He pulls Jesus aside. You get to be Jesus today. He's like, "Hey, I know this crucifixion thing you're talking about, but never." I don't know what you're thinking. Just I know the whole transformation thing, but just zip it up. Come on. Who's got the gall to tell Jesus the Messiah that you don't know what you're talking about? Peter. <laughs> right? One minute he declares Jesus is Messiah. The next minute he can't drive out a demon. Up, down, up, down. Success, failure. And obviously we know Peter best for what? He denies Jesus three times. Rock. Right? And we look and we're like, what an idiot. Okay? Jesus committed to Peter's process. Jesus commits to Peter and he says, Peter, you're going to be the rock. 
And for the next three years on earth, Jesus deals with all the rock's failures. He he deals with his foolishness, his immaturity, his brashness, and his denial and his rejection. And he says, Peter, you're still the rock. And you're going to be the rock. And you're going to lead like a rock. He commits to the process. Jesus committed to Peter in such a way that he transformed him to become the man that would navigate a young, fledgling church through heresy, apostasy, and intense persecution. This guy was a fisherman three years before. After three years living with Jesus' commitment, he becomes the man who on Pentecost preaches and thousands get saved. That would have been an easy day, though. He had to be the guy who led the church through some of the most intense persecution it's ever seen. Heresy, division. Look at Paul's resume. Virtually every church, maybe save one that Paul started, was broken up and destroyed by heretical teaching. And yet Peter was the rock that led the church as it grew. And I think we could all agree that he was successful because we're here today. The man who couldn't bear to stand and be affiliated with Jesus and denied him three times, ends up being the one who goes through intense persecution, keeps the church coming together, and ends up being crucified upside down. Peter became the rock that Jesus said he would be the day that he met him. Because Jesus commits to the process. So understand... If you've never met Jesus for real, where he's actually spoken to you and said, this is who you are. This happens personally sometimes, and it also happens through others. It's what we call prophetic ministry. Where someone prays for you, and they begin to describe who God says you are. And you can feel that it's true. If you've never met Jesus in that way... Understand that the most important thing in your life is getting to that meeting. It doesn't matter what you have to do, but you chase that meeting until you meet him in that way and he speaks to you in that way because nothing else matters. Until then, you're, you're simply living a life that's meant to be crucified. Once you've met him in that way and he crucifies what you were and resurrects what you will be for all eternity, that moment you've begun to live. Understand that until he's changed your name, you don't know who you are or what your life will become, and that's good. If you think you know, and it's not because he told you, you've got to let it go. Know that when you meet him, he will change who you are completely, though it will not be epitomized in that moment. But he will commit to you. He will change all your plans. But he will be there indefinitely through the process. He'll commit to your transformation. He'll commit to your future. And the person you will be and the life you'll have 20 years from now will be unrecognizable to the person you are and the life you live today. Other than 
underestimating the extraordinary glory of God, the second greatest fault that we live with in the church today is underestimating the incredible transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We think we get a new blackboard. What we don't realize is we get a death, a crucifixion to sin in its nature, and we get a new life, a new person filled with the glory of God. So we're going to go into worship. Uh, worship team's going to come back up, and I'm going to wrap. I just ask you guys that for those of you who have heard from God and you know who you are, take this as a reminder that he's committed to your process. He's committed to you and to bringing to fulfillment all that he said you'd become. But cooperate. Rid your mind of the things that he's not saying about you. Stop arguing with God. And don't think he forgot about you. Often it takes years for this transformation to take place. If you've never had God speak to you or meet you in this way, grab someone and let them pray for you. Grab someone. We'll have, you know, we'll get Stanskys up here and Johnstons can come up and the elders and we'll have people to pray for you. Let them speak prophetically. A lot of these guys gave words to me. I remember the first prophetic word I ever received was from Bill Shaw. And it was in a line, a prayer line right here in this church. It's right over there. It's the first time I met him. He gave me a prophetic word that has defined my life since that day. 13 years ago. At the time, I didn't know what he was talking about. 13 years later, I look back and I go, there are a few words that so clearly define my life over this last 13-year period. If you've never had God speak to you this way, give him the opportunity. Like Peter, let someone drag you to the meeting and just show up and see what Jesus will do. So Father, thank you that you speak. Thank you that you've not gone silent. Thank you that you will put to death everything that we once were, that we might fully release it and be free from all the sin, shame, guilt, and failure that once defined us, and that you would resurrect us into new life. Father, for those who have never heard you speak about who they are, speak to them today. Let your prophetic voice touch hearts change futures forever thank you for your presence thank you for committing to us and thank you for staying with us through the process we love you father amen